Lou Hen Sports Cage starts right now. Have a good night. Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Teddy Gelman. I feel like I need to stand up in studio here and kind of experiment with how that would work. Brandon Halvec. Their whole defensive line has been arrested once or twice over the past two years. Ahmed Quadri. Yankees are fun to watch, end quote. That's it. That's all I ever said. And Jake Lampert. Eat more chicken. There you go. I'll throw a slogan in there if anyone here is uh, working for Chick-fil-A and wants to throw me some sandwiches. It's Sports Talk Radio on 91.3 WVUD. Welcome to the cage. Welcome inside the cage on 91.3 WVUD with Ahmed Quadri and Jake Lampert. I'm Brandon Halvac. You've been listening to Delaware Baseball on WVUD. The Hens falling 9 nothing. To Northeastern, they fall on the season to 29 and 24 overall, 12 and 10 in CAA play. But two games remaining for the Hens until the CAA tournament. Delaware having already clinched a spot right now, fifth in the conference. Today's loss eliminated them from the possibility of rising to number one or number two in conference play. But Saturday and Friday's games against Northeastern could still see the Blue Hens rise to as high as third in the conference. Again, they currently sit. Fifth, you're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Jake Lampert and Ahmed Quadri. I'm Brandon Halvac. Teddy Gelman, the fourth member of our team, will be joining us shortly as he makes his way back from Bob Hanna Stadium. But guys, how you holding in there this evening? Great. We just did Uncaged. We just ended that season finale. So very excited about that. And uh, how about 100 here today? 100 Look at the time. to 100 has been completed. So last week we almost prematurely celebrated the 100. It looked like With the weather yeah. the weather was going to make it a little interesting if we were going to get there or not, but today's game was our 100th broadcast, game broadcast, that is. So football, basketball, men's and women's, ice hockey, field hockey, men's soccer, and now baseball. You put all those together, 100 broadcast on the year with tomorrow and Saturday's games, which are at 3 and 1 o'clock. We could get to 102, although the weather doesn't look great Friday and Saturday either. But we fit it. We're at 100. 100. That's all yeah. that matters. Anything else is extra. The party's non-refundable. We did everything. The The banner is up. Everything's great. So excited for that as well. But yeah, the weather was not a, was not a big fan. It was We had to go through some adversity. And you know, some, some every, every time. Trying to rain on our parade, team, literally. Team's got a goal. You got you a competition, I mean? something. You always got to go through some adversity. We went, we went through hours. All that, all the, all the fancy stuff aside, the glam and the glitter. I'm just excited to be back. This, I'm coming back on the show after three weeks. Award season. Yeah, it's it was been award season. season so S Z N. And for those who don't know, because <laughs> I feel like you should explain it. <laughs> yeah. It means season. But it's good to be back, and we've accepted so many. Uh, you and Brandon and Teddy, you guys were just on like a like a world tour there. So that felt that felt just great to be a part of. So excited, and then we have one more show left, right? One more. Till the season finale of this show, which is also very exciting. And then uh, that new team next year that you guys, I'm sure, will shadow at some point. Yep. So everything kind of coming to a close today. Uh, you guys recorded the final episode of Uncaged for the semester. That will be out later this weekend. 
And tonight is the second to last show of Blue Hen Sports Cage with our current crew. We'll have one more send-off show next week, our full time next week, 5 to 7 p.m. right here on 91.3 WVUD. Again, with Jake Lampert and Ahmed Quadri, I'm Brandon Hovek, the fourth member of our team, Teddy Gellman, was just down at Bob Hanna Stadium calling the Blue Hens 9 to nothing loss against Northeastern. He'll be joining us in a few moments here on the cage. Let's dive into it with a little talk about Delaware baseball as they wrap up their regular season. Again, 29 and 24 overall this year, 12 and 10 in conference play. Two games to go tomorrow at 3 p.m. and Saturday at 1 p.m. against Northeastern. The Huskies lead the CAA at 16 and 6 in conference play. They're all but locked up the number one seed. Delaware still battling for position right now. They're fifth in conference play. They're the reigning CAA champs, though. Last year came into the tournament fourth in conference play. And getting a little bit of momentum, it might be stalled by this Husky series, but previous to this one, they kind of got over the hump. They're well above 500 now. What are your expectations for this Blue Hens team as they head into the CAA tournament, which begins middle of next week? We saw it last year. This team, they're only task is to get in which they have and then it anything can happen they ran the table so as long as this team knows that it happened last year we can do it we can do it again they they're fine they're good they're where they need to be obviously a one would be nice but again we saw last year wherever they are they made it work yeah it's not like college football i feel like you know in college sports especially the caa everybody gets a fair chance um at the glory to get into the big dance. So uh, you have to say expectations have to be exactly the same with the way last year ended. You got to get into the playoffs there, the uh, the uh, World Series college baseball tournament, and they had uh, they lost to Texas Tech, I believe, yes. right in the uh, in the playoffs there. So first you want to get back in the yeah in the first round, and you want to get back. Obviously, that's the that's the opportunity, and for them to be able to get to third, possibly uh, would be a big step for them. But yeah. Uh, considering what they did last year, it's it's got to be CAA or bust kind of feel for them personally. Delaware again falling 9 nothing this afternoon to Northeastern. They have two more regular season games remaining tomorrow at 3 p.m. and Saturday at 1 p.m. We'll have coverage of both weather permitting, uh, but stay tuned to our social media at WVD Sports on Twitter, most notably for any updates on that game and also follow along uh, Delaware base. They'll have updates as well on the status of those two games later this weekend. Last night, 127-105, to the Houston Rockets come back and take one from Golden State, evening the series at 1-1, one one, despite a phenomenal game from Kevin Durant. The rest of the Warriors not really on their game. Rockets, their role players really show up. P.J. Tucker, 22 points, a playoff career high off 8-9 of nine shooting and 5-6 of six shooting from 3. Eric Gordon, 27 he hit six threes. Harden got his 27 as well. Now we're tied at one apiece. Series going back to Golden State for Game 3 Sunday. First off, your reactions to what Houston was able to do in Game 2 after being blown out by Golden State on their home floor in Game 1. You knew they were going to win one. I think we all said it. Yeah. There is going to be one game where the Rockets come out and the Rockets win. This team, given, is probably the second most... Uh, able to score a team in the NBA, so it's only a given that they have one game where they show up. Uh, Golden State didn't play as well as expected. Not that that's an excuse for uh, the reason that they lost. Houston played great, but this is their one win. We uh, Brandon and I both said that it's going to be Golden State in five, and I think this is where it kind of stops for them. Um, I don't really want to get too much into that. I'm sure we'll pick later of, of four, five, six, whatever the series goes into, but uh, yesterday, it felt like a switch that they finally kind of woke up 
Uh, first game, obviously, they got punched in the mouth a little bit, and uh, the, obviously Chris Paul uh, with 25-plus and uh, James Harden with 40-plus. So to, for them to not put together another good game in the second game, but to have those other guys step up as well, most notably P.J. Tucker with a playoff career high, I think the ball movement was better, and just defensively, they looked a little bit more aggressive. So uh, I like how they showed up to play. Um, 1-1, so we got ourselves a series now. I don't think anybody really expected a sweep. I know everybody said that after the first game, but uh, there's some concerns with Curry. Is he you know, fully himself? But I think we got a series now at 1-1, and we'll see where it goes. I'll take the higher end if I really were to choose, if it, whether six or seven games. Before we get into Curry, I want to— Note on something that you mentioned there, Ahmed, in the ball movement for Houston. Game one was a slower pace from the Rockets, a lot of isolation ball. It was effective when it was James Harden, but it didn't seem like the role players were involved. The Eric Gordons, the Trevor Rezas, Tucker, uh, Clint Capella even. But in this game two, you know, they still weren't doing a whole lot of pick and roll. It wasn't a whole lot of motion offense, but somehow they were still able to find a way to get those other guys involved. Do you think, and this might kind of be a self-explanatory uh, question, but do you think that in order to continue to have success against the Warriors, they need to remain in this kind of style where, yes, James Harden and Chris Paul are getting theirs, but so are Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, those types of guys? Or do you think they can still win a game with James Harden going isolation and putting up 35-plus? Do the other guys need to, the role players need to get touches? No, this is an isolation team, so you have to stick with what got you here. They were the number one isolation team in the NBA during the regular season. Um, a lot of people and analysts saying, well, you know, maybe too much isolation. The problem in the first game was the isolation was there, but everybody else was kind of standing around. There wasn't any cutting movement. Um, Chris Paul and James Harden, the only assist they had were to two points, two point uh, field goals. They, they didn't assist at all to any Good single three-point field goal. Yeah. So that means guys aren't cutting, guys aren't getting to their spots. I mean, you see guys like Curry, Bellinelli, um, Redick, you see some of these guys moving without the ball. That's mm-hmm. what you got to do. You have to move without the ball. You have to be ready. Especially if, so, if help comes, you got to yeah. be in a position mm-hmm. that they can get you the ball out on the three right. point line. And, and you're going to see obviously uh, Clint get his with you know whether it's it's a lob from Harden or Paul. You didn't really see as much of that. So um, people will say, yeah, don't switch anything. But and they're right, don't switch anything. But um, the rest of I guess you should say three to eleven on the lineup has to do their part, and they didn't really do their part. Uh, obviously, I would not recommend even you know touching James Harden or Chris Paul as far as isolation is concerned. They have to do their thing. That's their bread and butter. What do you think of Steph Curry in Game 2? 16 points, did get 7 rebounds mm-hmm. and 7 assists, but just 1 of 8 from 3. Yeah. Some people bringing up concerns about his health, but he did average 24 points in the previous two series. Off night for Curry, or should we expect? This type of performance, what, what do you make of that, guys? It's an well, off night for him. It's... Yeah, he's a two-time MVP. I think we have to expect a lot from him now. But, uh, yeah, I agree with Jake. I think it's just an off night for him. Uh, I think Durant's getting a lot of credit, which he deservingly should. Mm-hmm. He's, he's you know arguably the best player on the planet right now. But I don't know. I think he's off his game, but he, has to, he shouldn't be off his game. He's a two-time MVP. Still his team, in my opinion. But And they also know that, Golden State. That's why they're running this Hampton 5, their lineup including Iguodala in the starting 5, because they know that even with Curry not at full strength, you have five capable ball handlers. Anybody who gets the ball can dribble down court and run a set. Uh, if they ran it the other way, 
and stuck a center in, it'll kind of ride on Curry a little more. So that's why they're running this. Curry can have that kind of off game. And we saw it in game one. Curry has a bad game. Yeah, Durant goes 37. But Harden goes 40, yeah. essentially negating it. And Golden State still blows him out. So, Well, what happens, just to kind of play devil's advocate, game two, Durant's the only guy out of those five that has a good game. Do you still need, yes, Curry can have an off night, but does it then kind of go on to the next guys to pick it up, like a Clay Thompson? Draymond Green has five points in game two. Like, where, where else does it have to come from? Because Durant, 38 points, 13 to 22, three of seven from three. They lost by, what was it, over 20 points in this one. Yeah, the scoring needs to come from somewhere, and I think that makes that, that kind of just makes sense. But uh-huh. with Curry not being there, it doesn't, it doesn't really shy away from this team. Anyone on that team can score. Yeah, I think... Uh, Houston has a, a bigger knack for scoring maybe than Golden State does for the pure sense of James Harden and Chris Paul. Like off but, the bounce. Yeah, yeah, but you have a Golden State team where even five deep on the bench, Cook and them, they can score just as well. Maybe not as elite as Durant I guess and my Curry. question is where were they then in Game 2? Game 2 kind of brings in that idea that Houston was slower, more dominant, and that took so much out of Golden State. They didn't have that pop they normally had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... W- you're not going to be able to keep that up because Durant's going to catch fire, Curry's going to catch fire, yeah. Clay is going to have six threes in a quarter like he did. One, uh, maybe not six, but we'll give him five threes in a quarter like he did uh, last year. I'm all for this Houston team, but I think, like Ahmed said, you need to go isolation. You literally need to run isolation, run nonstop. And, it, and it's probably at Steph Curry, right? He's the oh, guy yeah. that you're targeting. You're going to be drilling him or Clay, and that's that's another element to this is, you know, defending James Harden and Chris Paul in isolations for 40 minutes does not keep your legs fresh to shoot threes on the other end. Yeah. Um, and Clay Thompson, while you can get points against him, he's not, he's a far better defender than Steph Curry is. So Curry is definitely the guy you go after in the same way that the Warriors have gone after Chris Paul whenever he's guarding Kevin Durant in isolation. And that's not necessarily the Warriors' game. They're total motion offense, running to the three-point line, setting screens. But they've done a lot more isolation with Durant in this series, which has been pretty effective thus far. And they're going at Chris Paul, who perhaps is one of the best positional defenders on the team. I mean, he can't guard anyone, but he's a good point guard defensive player, but they're still going at him because they have Kevin Durant because that matchup is just so bad for anyone that Kevin Durant can just score and he's going to keep scoring. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Talking Eastern Conference Finals right now. Boston up 2-0 defending their home floor with a 107-94 Game 2 win. LeBron puts up 42 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists, but it's not enough. Five Celtics in double figures, led by Jalen Brown's 23 points off 9 of 18 shooting. Jake, my question to you to start us off is, what should be the level of concern for the Cavaliers? I don't think they should be concerned. Um, I think, if anything, they should be shocked that this Boston team is doing what they're doing because with a 40-point triple-double, they lost with a slightly off night from LeBron, but a, but a decent night from other players. I mean, in the he team. puts up forty two points. Yeah, but for LeBron, how he played that game didn't he didn't look right that game. 
when you watch it, when you watch that game, he looked kind of out of sorts in the first quarter. And well, it, second, first quarter he was hot. Second quarter, you're, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, first quarter he put up, I think, close to twenty. But after that, he, yeah. he wasn't the same. He wasn't yeah. the same. I think they should be shocked that this Boston team is putting it to him like this. And I, I just have to bring up, and I'm, I did this myself too, and I want to know, put out that I'm kind of talking to myself as well. There was a Bleacher Report picture, I'm sure you saw it, of a tug-of-war scene with Boston and Brad Stevens on one side and only LeBron on the other side. And it's like, who's going to win? And I get it. And I've said it myself that LeBron doesn't have a team around him and this is the LeBron James show. But if I'm a player on the Cleveland Cavaliers and I see that, that is such a morale killer for me. And they know that they're not being superstars in this series they know that lebron's gonna do it all but you need to kind of reel that back in especially in a, a place like bleacher report to know put a few more people on there show more but, of the team but it it really is that way yeah. like it's crazy but when he's in the game it is all going through him it is him on a post up him bringing the ball up in isolation himself it really is just all james and if anybody else touches the ball it's because lebron james passed it to him and wanted him to do it it's in those moments between play like playing time for James when he's on the bench that you're kind of like okay what's gonna happen like who are the Cavs actually gonna play through because nobody else has been consistent Kevin Love has been fine he put up 20 and 10 or whatever I think maybe even more than 10 rebounds in game two but it's like where else is the scoring coming from because nobody else has stepped up J.R. Smith has been terrible Corver's been fine, but he only played like 21 minutes in game two. Jordan Clarkson didn't play. Rodney Hood has been terrible. So while I understand what you're saying as far as a team like boost, like you're not going to get anybody to play better by telling them that they're worthless, but they are. Like yeah. there's nobody else doing anything yeah, on this Cavs team. I, I, and I we've said it multiple times, and I'm not saying it's not true, but yeah. and in that media outlet, you kind of got to tone it back a little bit, but what what I've been seeing so far is that Jason Tatum is built for this. He's built for these moments. He has been playing out of his mind. You have the I think Jalen Brown has been great. You have too. the trio Jaylen of Jalen Brown, right Brown Marcus Smart, and Terry Rozier, who are just playing consistent basketball. And then you have playoff Al and Morris doing probably the best job that we've seen. Horford's great in the ne- last two, three years of LeBron, LeBron playoff rush in containing LeBron, in stopping him, con- with air quotes around it for yeah. containing, but for really slowing LeBron at least, James down. at least contain... I mean, they're not letting anybody else get easy shots. Yeah. Um, so you gave them credit for that, and you know James is going to get his, but a, what is that, 13-point win in Game 2, a big win in Game 1, they're handling business, and they're... A, a full route well-rounded team it's the it's like polar opposites when you watch the two playing styles when Boston brings the ball up the floor everybody's touching it everybody's moving and when the Cavaliers bring it up it's LeBron on a post up or LeBron with a high screen and it's it's very dribble heavy there's not a lot of movement there's not a lot of passing and then when James goes to the bench there's there's nothing going for this Cavs team and defensively they've also been terrible yeah uh, Ahmed your thoughts on what happens now that this series moves to Cleveland? Does does anything change? Are there adjustments that the Cavaliers can make to get things closer with the Celtics? Kind of what do you, what do you think as you look into your crystal ball? What do you think is going to happen 
when this series moves to Cleveland. Well, yeah, it's it's a little disappointing because you hear this guy LeBron and he supposedly makes everyone better, but really, besides him and Kevin, everyone is just playing really bad right now, really poorly. No help from his teammates, and uh, again, a lot of it goes on the coaching because Tyloo's being out out coached right now. But a lot of it is it falls on the shoulders of LeBron too. I don't want to, you know, I know he had forty plus in that in his in game two, but. You really have to do a better job of, of distributing the ball. You have a couple of guys who are vets, young guys, a, a nice really group of guys that you ultimately cleared out to to get these guys or to get rid of some of the other guys like IT and Wade. But um, a lot of it, I think, falls on uh, the shoulders of LeBron. I think he gets a pass. I'm not really sure why. Uh, probably because he is one of the all-time greats. But I think he gets too much of a pass. A lot of this uh, falls on his shoulders, and I think that he has to do a better job of getting – I know it sounds cliche, but he has to do a better job of getting the other guys involved. I mean, if J.R. Smith has zero points, um, you're most likely not going to win a game because J.R. Smith is your four, fifth, maybe sixth option, which is even a stretch. I mean, mm-hmm. he's one of your guys that can shoot threes. Um, weird stat with Kyle Korver. If he scores like 20-plus, they win the game um, uh, six out of, or five out of five times, which is asking for a lot. I mean, Kyle Korver is not the same Kyle Korver who's going to average 20 points a game. Um, that's asking for him to at least score five to six threes a game. That's just not going to happen anymore. So I, I think it's time you match Al Horford's inte- inte- uh, excuse me intensity and savviness and um, that nice front court back court matchup with Cle- uh, with Boston. I know it sounds weird. They're just a deeper team right now with all these guys injured. It's funny how that can be, but they're deeper and they're showing it. How nice would it be to have? D Wade in the LeBron bench minutes right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, uh, look what show. IT did with the Lakers. He scored 17 a game the in 25 LeBron minutes. The LeBron would do to have a D Wade, a D Rose, an IT, a healthy D Rose. Like an somebody IT who can just, just sitting there. Look what, look what like, Derek Rose did with Minnesota. Give, look what IT him, did with Lakers. Give them 10 minutes. You know, have the ball in their hands, pick oh, and roll. Just relaxed basketball for like, LeBron. Just all like, all D Wade, you want 10, 15 points from him off the bench yeah. in 15 minutes of play. And he was doing I mean, he was doing that or more for Miami. Even even what he would do to have like Jay Crowder back. I don't know about that. Jay he, Crowder, he didn't trust Jay Crowder, though. He didn't trust Jay Crowder, but Jay yeah. Crowder took loads off LeBron's shoulders. Not necessarily on the scoring end. He's, he's like your Iguodala. You guard the best player yeah, he, and you he can took, make a LeBron three, is, maybe. LeBron, frankly, has taken plenty of loads off defensively. He's been horrendous. And I give him the pass because he's got 42, 10, and 12. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're really a playoff team... That guy with the 40-point triple-double shouldn't be relied upon to be your best defender. Sure. But he's been—I mean, he just doesn't care. Like He's standing under the basket and letting Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris fly in for rebounds and putbacks. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, like, he should be bodying all of these guys. But he's either spent or he just doesn't care enough because he knows the rest of his team— it's it's terrible. And, you know, it's probably his last time with this this group running it back. Um, but, but what, is, you know, I guess at this point in the series— is it still Cleveland's to lose, or have you turned to like thinking about Boston actually being in the in the championship? Because we started here a couple weeks ago saying Milwaukee should have beat Boston, then we said Philadelphia should beat Boston, and now they're up two nothing against the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals. After this next game, I I think I'll be a lot more confident in ans- answering that question because right now I s- still think it's Cleveland's to lose. But if I mean, given if they go down three zero, um. Obviously, it's going to be three zero, and I'll say it's Cle- uh, it's Boston's to uh-huh. lose. But I think more statement wise, if Cleveland comes out, wins their two at home, uh, then does Boston need one? 
if they get one of the two, do you think it's over? Yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna go back home and make a statement if Cleveland goes two zero at home. They're not gonna kind of stop the train because that train's gonna. So be they sent. need they need one they need in Cleveland. One. It would be ideal. Not saying they should lose the game, but if they lose the first and win the second and go home with momentum, mm-hmm. that would be ideal for them. What do you I'll, think, Ahmed? I'll put it this way: I'm I'm gonna I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but. I think we've seen LeBron for the last time in a Cavaliers uniform after Game Four. I think the Celtics, after Game Four, after Game Four, I think the Celtics They're swept. No, Celtics. no, no, no not bring swept. out the brooms. Not swept, but I think it'll end in Boston in Game Five. So Game Five would be his last time in a well, Cavaliers uniform. In front of the Cavaliers. last time in Quicken Loans. In Quicken Loans, in front, of the, in front of the Cavs. Crowd. In front of the Cavs the crowd Cavs with face. with oh. that Cavs uniform. They better get they better get their uniforms ready to burn yeah. again. Yep. Get ready Until to burn he comes them. back think, three years later I think and integrates the team again after he gets Philadelphia. I think the era of of that is finished. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Teddy, terrible game from the Blue Hens today. How was it? First of all, one hundred. Yeah, hundred. Yeah, we give you credit for that. 100, but that must have been a long time down there. Yeah, I mean, you need to earn that 100. And no, I mean, <laughs> it, it was it, it was a long time, but to be honest, the baseball games, in which, even when you lose and when you get blown out by a team that's really good, oftentimes they're more fun to watch than when you play a team that stinks because when Delaware played LaSalle the other day and LaSalle was terrible, that game took three hours and Delaware was winning, but when you're watching a team that's good, it's, it's actually kind of fun to see some of the other players. Northeastern is a really good team. I don't know how they stack up with other teams in the country, but... We talk about Delaware baseball who won the CAA last year and went down to Texas for the NCAA tournament. I could, based on what I saw in one game and weather permitting, two more times this weekend, I could totally see this Northeastern team winning the CAA and making a run. So, yes, it was a terrible game from Delaware's (laughs) perspective. There's not that much to be excited about. To be honest, there's probably hardly anything to be excited about. But what I'll say is they had some, Northeastern had some really good players, and it was cool to watch it, and it wasn't hot. Tuesday when we were doing the LaSalle game, it was hot, muggy, and disgusting. Yeah. While the rain held off, I mean, it's like slight drizzle. It's still doing that slight drizzle out there, but it was a little bit more comfortable. I'll say that at the least. We're happy you're with us. You're listening to Blue Hunt Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. We're on until 7 o'clock tonight. Then one more show next week from 5 to 7, our final show of the semester before we say goodbye to Ahmed and Teddy. Uh, but we're still rolling on here. About 27 minutes to go. We're going to get into the NBA draft lottery, which was held two nights ago. Phoenix in the top spot, they had the best odds of getting there, 25% chance. So they're number one, followed by Sacramento, Atlanta, Memphis, and Dallas rounding out the top five. Let's start at the top with the Phoenix Suns. A lot of discussion recently about whether DeAndre Ayton, Luka Doncic, uh, who's the big international prospect, and perhaps Marvin Bagley, which one of those guys will eventually go number one. Now that we know that it is the Suns picking one, if you had to pick now, as we sit here on May 17th, who is it that goes one? If they don't pick DeAndre Ayton at number one, that might be one of the biggest passes I think anyone would have in the draft. Not necessarily because he is the best player in the draft, because he is by far the best fit for that team. That team centers, their number one centers Tyson Chandler, who's one, one month no away love for from Josh being set. Bender. I was going to say Bender now. Come well, on. Well, no, number one. He's still developing. Yeah. <laughs> But Tyson well, Chandler developing one good month away from being 84 years old. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that, but I have to watch it. Yeah, anyway. Game of Zones. I would say, me personally, they got the coach from Real Madrid, 
He's on Igor, the coaching staff. Pronounce the last I'm name. I'm not Igor. gonna even go for it. My man Igor. <laughs> My leave, man Igor. Leave it at Igor. Uh, Igor. He he did he, he did coach Luca from the age of 16. Which shout out to Luca. I mean, this guy is NBA ready. He doesn't have the ceiling DeAndre Ayton does. But me personally, I'm going with uh, alongside uh, Booker, who is a true uh, true shooting guard. This guy could be kind of a Ben Simmons-esque type player. Not sure if he'll pan out to be the same athletically, but he can shoot the ball. I think that'll be a nice one-two combination. A ben Simmons who can shoot. Yeah, he's he's like Ben Simmons Power. who wow. can shoot, but not wow. as athletic. If 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 you want if you want want something to look at here, but yeah, like Jake said, um, he's looking for you know you're looking for more DeAndre and correct Jake, but yeah, it's one of those things like. You really want to be second in this draft because you want whoever is is going first. It's like Kevin Durant and Odin. Just give me whoever lands to to me in the second because I can't make a bad decision here. Um, and we haven't seen that in a but, few years. But what if it's what if it's Rose and Michael Beasley? And you, and everybody thing, though, thought that there wasn't a bad call there, and Derrick Rose won an MVP. C- correct, and you're right on that. But you take whoever's We're the best available. We're not going to slander Michael Beasley right now. <laughs> there will be no Michael but Beasley with slander. That, with that being said, Brandon, you take best available, and I think both of these guys could. One of these guys be an absolute dud. Yeah, sure, why not? But you take the best available, and I think uh, you know. I think the Kings and Atlanta, frankly, with Bagley there as well, I think they're in a good position. A lot of pressure on number one with Phoenix. I don't know. I- I'd love to take both of those guys, but if you had to ask me, 51-49, I'm taking, um, taking Luka. What do you think happens with Sacramento? They're taking the other guy? Doncic or Aiton, whoever falls. Correct. Probably. Yes. I mean, and do they do, any... do they just wither away into ruin in Sacramento? The Kings have picked in the lottery for ten consecutive years. They, but last year's lottery wasn't terrible for the Kings. They Darren got Fox. Fox. Darren Fox at number five. They got, and he'll, he'll probably be a guard of the future for them if he decides to stay. Two years ago, they also did draft George's Papianis and cut maybe him not six months later. Yeah, not not uh, the they best. They still have Willie Cauley Stein, a big man. What's going Remember on? Remember when with him? everyone said like he was going to be dominant? They like Willie Cauley Stein. Yeah, they like him a but, lot. So maybe you're hoping for a guy like Luca, which I know Vladi also being you know Serbian descent. I mean, there's a lot of European action going on here. I know uh, what's his name, Vivek Ranadive is also big. On the European players, I'm throwing some big names at you right now. Owner of the Sacramento Kings. What's the Who, proximity, man? You're as our European correspondent. What's the proximity <laughs> between Serbia and Slovenia, where Luka Doncic is from? Uh, his dad is Serbian. <laughs> Luka Doncic's dad is Serbian. Okay, that'll yeah. do. Wow. That'll do. His dad okay. is Serbian. Yeah. So they can't be too far. Yeah. So <laughs> and then again with the you know affiliations, but then the affiliations there also with Phoenix. So um, yeah, also with uh, Igor. what's his, Igor, yeah. So man. there's a lot of connection here, and that factors in. Maybe not that much, but it's going to factor in. Um, I need a flow chart <laughs> for all these connections. I need a real flow chart to figure out who's picking who. They're, yeah. they're separated by uh, Bosnia and to the west. Right. Slovenia is to the west of Hungary. Serbia is to the east right. of Hungary and to the south of Russia. Get you a sports director. He's that half can and do half. Both. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> half and half. He's dad or mom's Just Slovenian. Just north of the uh, Adri- Adriatic Sea. Uh, west, east of Italy, north of the Mediterranean. Yeah, I'd like to phone a friend. <laughs> Let Teddy take it from here. Also, but but I, I'm I'm very curious though. I, you know, I know this guy Luca is supposed to be good, supposed to be really good. But, he is good. But but here's the thing. I mean, there are there are some European players who come in, and you think about. I mean, the one who stands out of my mind is think about Dirk and and what he's been able to do. But there have also been a lot of busts. And I Darko. There there have been busts. Yeah. And my question to whoever is going to draft this guy. Beyond just oh we know he's good we know he's good, how can you 
you know, know that that I'm going to get this guy and and he's going to be better than all of these guys that are coming out of the the it's college a risk so, out of the take. NCAA. The the argument is that he's been playing Eurobasket and he's been playing in one of the top European leagues with Real Madrid since he's 16 years old. Um, well, he the Madrid team since he's 18, but he's been playing Eurobasket since he's 16. So the argument is that he's been playing at a higher competition level than the NCAA for a couple of years, or at least a comparable level. Uh, but he has experience playing with guys like Goran Dragic with the Eurobasket team over the course of the summer the past couple of years. So that's the counter-argument that you've seen him against NBA-type competition or NBA-light competition. Uh, but that's undoubtedly the question with him. You know, is he Mario Hazonia? Is he Darko Milicic? All these guys we've I seen. I was going to say, he's coming from the or same is he program as Mario Hazonia and Ricky Rubio and such. So he's coming from It's a, a risk program. you have to take on yeah. him, though, especially if he goes to a Kings team who just needs somebody. I mean, their cornerstone was like Zach Randolph for a few weeks of the season. Like, you need to get him out. You need to bring in Luka. You need to just let him do it. Let him either be the superstar he is, and then because if you pass on him, he goes to the Hawks at three, or he gets taken in front of you at one, and he's a superstar, you're going to be a lot more mad at yourself than if you took him and he didn't really suffice as what you thought he was going to be. What else interests you guys here at the top of the draft? Memphis came into the lottery with the second best odds. They fall to number four. You got Dallas a year after snagging Dennis Smith Jr., Mm -hmm. number 10. They're at number five. Orlando always seems to be in the mix. They're at number six again, kind of that middle of the lottery team year after year, and they continue to be terrible. (laughs) Chicago at number seven, kind of a tank job gone bad. They really wanted to tank after that Jimmy Butler trade. They end up mid-pack, really not in position to get an elite prospect. Do any of those teams and their situations stand out to you, intrigue you, so forth? I have to definitely go with the Mavericks. I mean, you found a gem with Michael Porter, or not Michael Porter Jr., excuse me, Dennis Smith Jr. Maybe they get Michael Um, Porter Jr. Maybe they get Michael Porter Jr. to tag alongside him. Uh, Mo Bamba might be there. Um, I don't know if uh, Trey Young is uh, dropping off a little bit. He's still expected to go top ten. Trey Young would be perfect for that. Do you want to pair that? You got Dirk. He's uh, he should be done after this year. Cap space frees up. They get up. rid of Alfred Payton. Alfred they are Payton. literally in a. Wait, are we talking Dallas or Orlando? Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. Dallas. Okay. And Ma- the and then Dallas, the the city, the market is great. You have a lot of things going for you. I don't know. I'm don't ex- hype up Dallas I'm just like saying, that. Come I'm just on. saying if they make the right if they make the right pick this year and and he pans out to be a nice gem like Dennis Smith Jr., Dallas has something now. That's all I'm saying. Dirk is coming off the books. You you have potential in that team. That's all I'm saying. I mean, in general, these teams stink. Yeah, you just look. Well, at, well, they're in the lottery. Sure, sure. <laughs> they're, they're getting those picks. Sure. Number ten doesn't stink. They were in the lottery. I, I I just question. I mean, obviously, you want to get somebody from the draft who's gonna. Jump right. If you're in the top 10, you ideally, this doesn't always work, but you really hope that the person who you pick in the top 10 is going to jump right in and, and be an active contributor, don't you? My question. I think that's too high an expectation. True. If you're in okay. the top three or four. Okay. But how often do you actually get a guy? Like seven or eight. Well, it's kind of random because, yeah. I mean, there are some guys who come out of the late first round who are really good players now. But for the most part, it's a couple. You just wonder, I mean, how, bi- how big of an impact can a pick help have to on Orlando and Chicago and Dallas and these teams that don't have much else. But you got to start somewhere. And I wonder how much of it is development, too. You got to start somewhere. You know, the San Antonio Spurs draft a guy like DeJounte Murray back end of the first round, and he's developing into a quality young point guard. Tony Parker is his backup, yeah. Yeah, and yet, 
Sacramento and Orlando, they're here in the top five, top ten perennially. They're drafting what is supposedly the top talent. Sure, some of those guys might just be bust, but ten years straight, they're all bust. Like there's there's a there's a flaw, I think, in the development of these players because you know the Spurs figure out ways to turn Kawhi Leonard, Dejounte Murray into quality players, as do the Golden State Warriors with somebody like Jordan Bell, who was a rotation piece that they got in the second round, obviously. Draymond Green's a second rounder. Clay Thompson was picked eleventh. Steph Curry was picked seventh. So I, I wonder how much of this, you know, if you're Luka Doncic, like you really don't maybe want to go to Sacramento because what are they going to help you with? There's nobody there to play with, and how are they going to develop your skills? They haven't shown with anybody recently that they can develop a star player, especially in this draft. Though I feel like one, two, three, four, five, maybe there, all five of those picks are. Pretty much NBA ready on paper. They can, of course, like you said, they could be busts, but it's kind of hard for teams like the Kings to go wrong in this draft unless they throw us for a loop and pick somebody that we don't even expect. They take best available. They can't go wrong. They're they're. Yeah. F- but then five once you players. get once you get DeAndre and once you get Luka Doncic, what do you do with them? That's, that's my question. That's up to the. Now it's like, up to I still think there's a flaw with that Vlade team. and Vivek, you know. I mean, but that would be a disservice to the organization to draft somebody like that top and not. Throw them in, throw them into the fire. No, you absolutely play them. My my thing is just that you don't have a Booker necessarily. Yeah, like what's the what's the career path? Like that's what you get when you go to a team that stinks. Well, I mean, you draft one and draft them again next year. You'll get another one next year, and then the the yeah, hope but the, and the, is the Kings have been doing that for ten years, and they're maybe, still here. Maybe that's true because most teams that are in the bottom, when they get a good pick, they're there again. After that year is when they start to take off. It's usually a two year process in the draft, and the Kings haven't hit that yet. But they picked De'Aaron Fox, who showed that he was worth the pick. True, very worth the pick. You get Luca here at two. This may be the one two year that gets the Kings out of the hole. We can only could hope. Be. I mean, look at the bottom of this thing. The only team in the bottom of the draft. That I mean, Phoenix, it's been a little while, back to the Steve Nash days. But everybody else besides Sacramento has been competitive in recent seasons. They've fallen off, of course, but think back to when the mm-hmm. Magic made the finals and what the Bulls did. Right, when... The Bulls made a conscious decision sure. to be at the bottom. And the Hawks were number one seed in the East a couple years ago. So you drop off, you try to maybe get some better play with a young player. Maybe some free agent goes there for a di- you know, It's yeah. not what you typically see, but it can be tough. For these teams, especially a team that's screwed up so many times, like Sacramento. It can be tough. Anything else jump out to you guys at the bottom of the lottery before we move on? What did the Sixers do with the 10th pick? I have to bring it up for my Sixers. What did they do with the 10th pick? I'd love to see it go to San Antonio for you-know-who. And by you-know-who, you mean Kawhi Leonard? Kawhi Leonard. I mean, also, the Cavs are sitting at... A pick that very well can bring in a Trey Young. Sure. Very well can bring in a Michael Porter. Or They're well going to need it when they don't have LeBron. They're going to need you, somebody to score. They are if if they bring in Trey Young, <laughs> this is a complete overstatement and early prediction that Trey Young is going to average thirty points a game. Oh, get out of here! Right. But now. he's going to be on a he team. Average twenty. That's he's going to be a on take, a team where not a is... single person has scoring prowess. There's no. But the last guy to average thirty a game was Steph Curry, and he shot forty five percent from three. You he, think Trey Young's going to do that? He he has perhaps well. First of all, he's drawing almost as many Steph Curry comparisons. Not saying he's Steph Curry, way too early, but he has been drawing comparisons as that polarizing scorer. He's going to a team and Curry that's didn't do that until like him. his sixth year in the league. He's basically going to 
Ty Lue's going to get him. If they don't make any other offseason moves, and if they don't get any stars for LeBron James, and LeBron James walks for chump change, they're going to give Trey Young the chump basketball change. and Come say— Joel Embiid chump change. Well, no, you're going to say LeBron James is going to be traded for Joel Embiid? No, he's going to be signed as a free agent. Right, no, I'm you saying— You said he's, he's like, walking for chumps. No, so like, they say LeBron, they if he walks, he's going to go— you know, to play with Paul George or whoever, right. he's so going to play it, with somebody it, else. They're going to if they don't get people that can fill the hole that LeBron James is going to leave. It's going to be Trey Young. It's going to say shoot fifty-five times a game. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Announced this afternoon, Mike Budenholzer will be the new Bucks head coach. Not necessarily asking for your scouting report of him, but one thing that I was considering earlier this week is that as we talk about the Eastern Conference moving forward, it's often Boston, it's Philadelphia. But should the Bucks with Giannis and maybe a new look offense be considered in that discussion as a future Eastern Conference power? One hundred percent. I think Mike Budenholzer, like Teddy mentioned earlier, the Hawks. He took them to a, a Eastern, I guess, title is what you can say with the 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 infamous title of winning the East with the or the, the, the most 60 wins, win. the sixty wins. Uh, getting Five that players of the week, first coveted first seed. If that means anything for you, obviously doesn't really mean much. But again, he comes from the Greg Popovich tree of coaching. So yeah, I'll give him a little bit of credit. Maybe he can land uh, some big name to play alongside Giannis. I, I like this move. Yeah, I think that we've seen the power of coaching really in any sport. I mean, not to go on this whole tangent, but you can see what is happening in Boston right now. With if you didn't, if you had a very average coach that team probably wouldn't be where they are right now. And you see what the power of a good coach is. And with the Hawks roster that Amid mentioned, I think that roster totally overperformed than what people thought. So you look at some of the pieces that this team has, if it's a good, if he's able to work with them and maybe get another free agent and develop these players, sure, why not? They, they can be considered a top five team in the East moving forward. It's also the East. Like, we, I guess, are talking about it like, it's gonna be. It's gotten better over the years, but, but still, but the East, it's, it's about, still the it's East, about to get worse. But, yeah. it, but is it, but Brandon saying they did not just be a fringe playoff contender? Like, can this yeah. team? I mean, can you this, said top five, Teddy. I think this could be a top three team. I was, by being, next year. I was being conservative. It's the East, of course. I was being any, any but, team. But I'm saying, like, when you talk about the Boston and the Philadelphia, but I think eventually the whole any team might get down to Boston and Philly if these cores develop the way that we think they can. Oh, is it? Isn't it already right? Like, Maybe you know, Boston. Toronto, Boston will have. Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Toronto. Al Horford, and Jason Tatum, the they'll be yeah. a powerhouse. They'll be close to a super team, and Philadelphia could be the same with their two All-Stars plus maybe another guy. Toronto maybe is still on the fringe for a couple more seasons, but I think a lot of people look at it as Boston-Philly, and I guess the question is, can Milwaukee compete with them? Sure. And you guys are saying, I mean, yeah, yeah, sure they can. With a, with a, it's, with a new yeah, coach it's and Giannis, a new system. It's uh, well, Drew Bledsoe, uh, or Eric Bledsoe, whatever you want to call him. Uh, yeah. That team could definitely compete. I think they are warranting a top four spot, even a top three spot. And also by default, because if the Cavaliers, which many expect, will not be who they were in the past. I mean, I don't know what you were saying before, and I don't want to diverge here, but I mean, I think the Celtics are going to win that series. It's, it's clear who the better team is right now. So if the Cavs are not where they are, you look, yeah, Philadelphia, Boston, there's no reason to think Milwaukee shouldn't be striving to get to that point, too. In baseball, Shohei Otani as I put in the notes, still a beast. But do you guys think his play is sustainable through the course of the season? Hitting our on-base percentage, 366, five home runs, 16 RBIs. He's also had six starts, a 358 ERA, not dazzling, but almost 12 strikeouts per innings pitched. What do you make of Otani early in the season as we're about halfway through the month of May? Showtime. I love watching it. I mean, 
you know, LA, you talk about LA sports. It, that's a culture over there. I like it. Rams are up there. Lakers are going to be good. He's bringing the Angels back. I don't know what's going on with the Dodgers. Somebody fill me in, but I like Showtime. I don't even think they and, can fill you in. <laughs> I like Showtime uh, right here with the Angels. I think they're going to get better. Um, and I think I've said this before. Mike Trout it might not have anything to do with it, but is the best player in the league. I love that uh, that duo, that combination. I think they can grow. I mean, I'm sold on him. I watched uh, the last weekend in April when they played the Yankees, and he crushes the first pitch he sees to deep left center. Right after he saw, right after I saw that, I was fully sold on him. Anybody that can do can hit at a major league level and pitch at a major league level is something to fathom over. Um, and I wasn't sold on him to start, but now I'm kind of secure in saying that he's he's up there. I don't remember when I said this. I don't know if it was on a show or if it was casually, but it was a few weeks ago at the beginning of the baseball season. I said it at the minimum. I expect the Angels to be a contender for the wild for a wild card at a minimum. Somebody gave me pushback. I don't know if it was any. I don't know where I said this, but you look at him right now. They're two games behind Houston. For the West, I don't think they'll win the West, but you see what he's been able to do to that organization, and they're a pretty solid team. No, he's not going to continue that stat line specifically, but his impact has already been known, and he's going to vault that team forward. I'd be interested in seeing what his wins above replacement are down the stretch. It's got to be somewhere near your five or so, which which yeah. gets up there. It'll Speaking be interesting. Of wins to see... above replacement. Mike Trout is on pace for like double digits. <laughs> like yeah. he is on pace to set. Could the, be the greatest the, individual season ever. ever. And it's like what a quarter of the way through the season already. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how they combine his his pitching impact and what he's done at the plate, as far as that statistic goes, and with you know how often he plays and that sort of thing. How that eventually compares to somebody like Mike Trout or Clayton Kershaw, if his impact, when you take into account both both sides of the ball or whatever you want to say, whether that equates to that type of MVP caliber player or not. 